Let's just pray before we open the Bible. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instructions to us, its truth, its authority, its clarity, its hope, its power. Thank you for the stability and security that it gives. Help us, Lord, this morning to ponder your truths, to give us wisdom and understanding by your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts and minds to understand more of your goodness and greatness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I'm going to read from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through maybe verse 10. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Here with this mic. So there's a lot in here. Another heavy passage. And um, even now, I was a little bit overwhelmed this morning as I was recapping some of the things and uh, knowing that Peter's prophecy came true where he said there will be scoffers coming there will be false teachers and scoffers and false teachers are certainly among among us one of the privileges i had yesterday as i was uh, walking and pondering um it's springtime and there's even in the midst of uh Life and death, right? Life and death every day. 
There's, there's good news, there's bad news, there's difficult news, there's pleasant news. I was walking on the edge of the parking lot over there. If you remember, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know there's been a trailer, a, a camper parked on the back of the parking lot over there. Well, as I was walking along, I looked down and I noticed there was, a, it looked just like a funny bump in the tar, on the edge of the tar. So I got down on my hands and my knees and I saw what you need to see. I was going to have everybody actually go out there during the sermon time here this morning. But uh, it was an amazing feat of life. There was a little tiny blade of grass that had poked up through the tar. But the, you wouldn't think that uh, a blade of grass could poke through the tar. I tried to push my finger next to the spot where it came up and thought, well, maybe the tar is really soft in this spot. But that blade of grass, and you'll see others that are already fully grown, but you're like, oh, well, that doesn't give me the same kind of evidence this does. This has the tars buckled. And up comes this little tiny blade of grass. And so I said, hey, little grass, you seem to be pretty powerful. And the top part looked like it was not fully alive as the rest of the stem was. And I thought, well, maybe there was a little sacrifice there of the part that was kind of constantly pushing on that tar to break free. And I was just thinking, so you got to see it. You got to, I would say, as I was walking along the road yesterday morning too, all along the road, there was these little spots of humped up earth. And I, so I got down on my knees again and guess what's under there? Little tiny plants that are pushing up through the earth's surface and reminding me that even in the midst of our darkest day, life is still at work. And God is at work. And Peter, when he mentions dear friends, he, that word is just way too weak in the NIV. Okay? Look at where he says, dear friends. That's how he starts chapter 3. Verse 8, dear friends. Verse 14, so then dear friends. And verse 17, so then dear friends. He uses the same phrase in First Peter also in his first letter. But... He's writing to people, the word is really beloved, and he's writing to people he cares about. And so um, when I was, I didn't put a ton of thought this week into just the title of the sermon. You probably never even noticed that it's in the bulletin. The title of the sermon is sometimes in the bulletin. And, but I just called it Dear Friends, because I even through all this darkness of chapter 2 and the little bit we're going to face in chapter 3 and still face some of it next week, I'm just grateful and thankful that I can call many of you dear friends. And if I can't call you dear friends yet, it's just because we don't know each other well enough. But Peter knew these people, and he was learning some of them that he hadn't yet met. And, but if we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, then it isn't about us knowing each other as much as it's about us knowing Him and Him at work in our lives to bring us into deeper relationships all the time. So as I began this section on the scoffers and the destruction of the earth by fire, I just wanted to say, you know what? Life is at work in the midst of all the darkness. And whatever darkness you're facing in your life, there's little green shoots trying to pop up through the tar. And they make it. They make it. 
And so you and I need to continue to open our eyes to the good things that are there. So Peter, he says, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. And there's some debate on what exactly that meant. But we have first Peter, we have second Peter. I'm pretty simple. So um, his second letter to these people that he cares about, and he's written both of them, he says, to remind you. And remember in when we started second Peter, we pointed out that three times in the very first uh, chapter there, he says to remind you of these things, to remember these things. And then in chapter one, he says, I want you to prepare your mind for action. So he's saying, I want to remind you of important things. I've written these things as a reminder to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And the word stimulate there in the NIV is the same word to stir up. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you and I both recognize we need reminders from time to time. We need reminder, reminders to check our drift. We need reminders in our marriages. Don't take each other for granted. We need reminders in our life on a regular basis that we can drift into just a numbness of life. And we need to be, be paying attention. So when he writes this letter, he's coming to the close now. This is, uh, uh, as, a, as a, he wraps up, he's thinking of probably all the most important things he could possibly say to his dear, uh, beloved friends. And one of them is just to simply remind them of wholesome thinking. And he says, I want you to recall, I want you to remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through his apostles. So he's reminding them about the word of God because the scoffers are coming and the false teachers are coming and they're going to challenge the word of God. And we saw last week or the week before that, when we looked at uh, second Peter, the introduction of chapter two, that there was two main things. They want to attack the person of Jesus and they want to attack the work of Jesus. After they attack the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, then they're going to attack the, um, the salvation of Jesus, and then they're going to attack you and I. So the false teachers come in secretly bringing heresies to bring about destruction. And the scoffers, they come behind the false teachers because if they can't move you off of truth, they'll ridicule you. They'll mock you. They'll scoff you. And that's what he's saying. They're going to, the scoffers come and they'll do their best to ridicule. So be anchored and spend time. Um, if you're not spending time in scripture yourself on a regular basis, you have no idea where your compass has drifted to. Okay? Because all the things the false teachers are pushing, the scoffers are pushing, the media is pushing, the world is pushing. If you are not in your Bible on a consistent basis, having your dial of truth put back on course, you, not, you can't be certain where you are in your knowledge of the truth. And I, one thing I've learned even for myself, uh, and I need to continue to learn it, we don't know what we think we know as we think we know it. And so if the false teachers are devious, if they're secretly introducing truths, 
you and I, we should be um, aware enough and humble enough to recognize, you know what? There's probably things that I believe that are just not so. And there's probably things you believe that are just not so. And we have to be careful and we have to continually check our drift and continually asking ourselves, is this the truth? Have I been hoodwinked? What is it I believe? What is it the scripture's teaching? So when Peter says, dear friends, I have written you to remind you and to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. You have to be paying attention. We have to be paying attention to what we're being sold and what we're being told. And so he reminds them about the words spoken by the prophets. And he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, God's word. He's talking about the apostles, God's word. He's talking about the words of Jesus. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, and, you know, that's debatable. Are we in the last days? Is Jesus going to come in the next week? Are, and some people said, well, the last days started at his ascension. After his death and his resurrection, the last days, we entered into a season of the last days. And if you read a little further on in Peter, it says that the Lord doesn't see time the way we see time. He says, for the Lord, a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So it's been two days since Jesus left the earth in that sense. And so we, in the last days, scoffers will come, and it's absolutely proof. You could go among some of the people you know, and I could go among some of the people I know, and we could talk to them about some of these things. We could talk to them about creation. We could talk to them about the flood. We could talk about the second coming and they would scoff and they would mock and they would ridicule. And a scoffer, this is something interesting because I saw myself as a scoffer during my studies. Because a scoffer, one of the definitions of a scoffer is someone who would make light of something that should be taken seriously. My wife has left the room, but she would know that far too often I make light of things that should be taken seriously. And so I, I was sobered through this study. Wow, look at what's happening. Verse 3, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffling, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So when I'm acting like a scoffer, when I'm not taking things that should be taken seriously, Seriously enough, am I following my own evil desires on those times? Am I saying, you know what? I don't want to take God's word seriously today. I don't want to take relationships seriously today. I don't want to take my responsibilities seriously today. And on those days, on those moments, on those times, am I acting like a scoffer? Scoffers will come. Scoffers are banking on the weakness of our convictions. Scoffers are banking on the weakness of our personal walk with God. If you and I are not spending personal time with God, scoffers will recognize that. They'll take advantage of it. 
They were banking on our weakness and the understanding of God's word. They're banking on the difficulty it is to have lasting relationships. Scoffers don't want anything that's stable. Scoffers are banking on our insecurities and our inadequacies and our self-reliance rather than our trust in God to be. They, they, they know that we're going to depend on ourselves more than that we're going to depend on God. So they can scoff. They know that scoffing creates instability and shakiness in our faith. So they're going to push. Scoffers. Some of your translations use the word mocker. Here's just some general ideas. To play with. To trifle with. Have you ever seen a cat? catch a mouse and then they just play with it a little bit like these scoffers to play with as a child to ridicule to make fun of it was interesting um, when you look up some of the words in the new testament where the word scoffer and mocker was used most of them have to do with when jesus was on trial let me just read a couple examples, okay? And I'm, I'm just going to briefly take a couple of points out of the trial of Jesus in the Gospels. And the first one I have is in Matthew chapter 20. Listen to how this is described here. The action and the atmosphere. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Mocked and flogged and crucified. Chapter 27. So that was a prophecy of what, what would happen. And here in chapter 27 of Matthew, it indicates that surely what took place. Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. Okay, so they gathered around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. You can already hear the mockery in that taking the true king of kings, and they're going to make a mockery of him. And then they twisted a crown of thorns together and set it on his head. They put a staff in his hand and knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify Offing, it's intentional, it's insidious, uh, ridicule to make fun of. We can go on find some other verses in the Gospels that include this, but most of the time it had to do with Jesus. Most of the New Testaments of the use um, to describe his treatment was by the people he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And they mocked him and they ridiculed him. It's clearly the idea of making fun of by 
by pretending and implying that he is not who he said he is. Same thing the false teachers do. They deny his sovereignty. They deny his, um, his godness. They deny his salvation. And they're going to ridicule and mock him. They intended to try to make a fool of Jesus and anyone associated with him. That's the job of the mockers. So while there's no shortage of those who don't believe in God, there isn't so many that are so bold to openly scoff at God and the judgment to come. Yet they're willing to live without any caution as if they'll never have to stand before him and give an account for their life. It's interesting when they built the Titanic, it's pretty common knowledge that one of the sayings they said in kind of in a pride and arrogance, even God couldn't sink the Titanic. The idea of facing God on Judgment Day is so far from people's minds that it never affects how they live. And so Peter is bringing this sober truth. And so what does he say here? Go back to 2 Peter. Scoffers will come following their own evil desires. Following their own evil desires. Listen to how some of the translators made this statement out, just thinking about their own evil desires. The Phillips said this, these are men whose only guide in life is what they want for themselves. Scary, telling. Is that me? Is that you? Is that us? The only guide in life is what they want for themselves. Selfishness is their way of life. The New Jerusalem Bible translate this phrase, sarcastic scoffers whose life is ruled by their passions. New English translation says, being propelled by their own evil desires. Another translation, going where their own passions lead them. Berkeley's translation, being in line with their own lusts. Weymouth, for they are men governed by their own passions. It's kind of a miserable and empty description. If the choices of one's lifestyle contradicts God's word, there's only two choices. Change your lifestyle or attempt to change God's word. Since his word is sure and sound, and Peter brings it up three times to remind them about God's word, the power, the authority of God's word, the impossibility of changing God's word, we must take the other road. Not the road the scoffers take, but the road of truth and adjust our lives to the truth of scripture. The early church, what were they scoffing about? Says they're going to follow their own evil desires. And verse four clearly says this is, he's almost, I think he's quoting here, the scoffers themselves. Verse four, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. 
And we know that in the New Testament, the New Testament uh, folks lived with the expectation that Jesus could return in their lifetime, right? And it's no wonder when you consider that out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, 300 references to Christ's return in 260 chapters. And only four out of the 27 books in the New Testament have no specific reference to the second coming. That means 23 of them do. And so the whole chapter of Matthew 24 is about Jesus' second coming. Hebrews chapter 10, James 5, Revelation 22, Philippians 3. You could name verse after verse after verse that talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so the scoffers were saying, where is this coming, he promised. And in a, in a bold way, they're calling God a liar, calling Christ a liar. Jesus in John 14 said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will return. They say, where is this coming, he promised. And then they base it just on their own simple observations. Ever since, see what they're saying? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. That's kind of a, a guess, because how could they know that for sure? And it's an absolute denial of a couple things that Peter's going to point out in reality. But apparently, in their minds and hearts, there'd been so much time passed. And when it says, ever since our fathers died, you can't tell exactly if they're talking about their own personal fathers, which would make the time very short, 50 to 70 years, or they're talking about the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then you would be, certainly have more time. But when Peter says that a thousand years are like a day, and the day is like a thousand years, you're talking a very short time, just a couple of days. But apparently in their minds, in the scoffers' minds, enough time has passed and Jesus hasn't returned. I guess he's just not coming. I guess it's just not so. I guess God's word failed. His promises failed. He's untrustworthy. We can scoff. He's not coming at all. Their second ascension uh, assertion was that the world just goes on as it has always gone on year after year after year. So um, I don't know exactly. Okay, it's, it's May. What's so May 9th, 2021, years ago, in May of 1980, there was a scoffer named Harry Truman. Not the president, but Harry Truman. And this scoffer, the scientists came to his house many times, and they warned him, and they warned him. His neighbors warned him, and everybody else left. But Harry Truman stayed at the base of Mount St. Helens. And so on May 18th, 1980, he, in his scoffing, is now buried under tons of ash. And it's interesting that um, these people's claim was that everything goes on just like it always has gone again and again, time after time after time.
Now, you heard about my scientific experiment out in the parking lot and walking along the edge of the road, right? I just got down on my knees and I looked at a blade of grass popping up through the earth, popping up through hard tar, popping up through the soil. So I don't claim to be a scientist, but I can learn and I have been learning and I will continue to learn and studying. But look at, look at what it says there in verse 5. I'll finish verse 4. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth were formed out of water by water. We'll look at that in a second. But did you know that in the late 1800s, there was a guy named Sir Charles Lyell, okay, L-Y-E-L-L. And uh, he started a theory called uniform, uh, can you, do you know the word, Phil? Uniformitarianism, uniformitarianism, okay? And so the idea is uniform, the idea that there's things that follow one after the other, uniformitarianism. Here's his idea. It's always been this way. Even though it happened by chance, it will always be this way. Okay? So it has always been this way. And that's the idea here is they're saying that, listen, it's been this way since the beginning of time. Since our fathers died, nothing's ever happened that's going to change. But there's another word called catastrophic, and that's at different intervals in the Earth's history. There has been events, earthquakes, floods, volcanoes, famines, epidemics that have changed things, that have altered things, and many people have died in the process. But Peter wants to point out to these scoffers two radical things. And in, in quoting them, when he said, even since the day of creation, everything has gone on, what did they just say? They believe in creation? No, they don't believe in it, but they acknowledged it. And they said, since creation, and Peter says, hey, wait a minute, creation was an intervention by God to change things. And then he says, there was a flood. Two things that entered in. So time radically just to come against them, these scoffers. And the scoffers, it says willfully. Look at what it says. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. I was fascinated to go back and listen to this in Genesis. You don't have to turn there, but you can go back there and read it for yourself at another time. But listen to this recapping of Genesis. Because he says the earth was formed by water and out of water. Maybe you didn't realize this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then it goes on to describe how we separated the waters to make the expanse of the skies and the waters to fill the earth below, to make seas and rivers and wells.
Interesting. But deliberately, there it says in verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Deliberately choose to suppress, disregard, overlook, actively, voluntarily, purposely hold down, restrain, oppose. And so this is them expressing their own will. And it's easy to see. Even you and I do this. You know, think about with your health care and with our health care. You know, I don't really need to exercise. I don't really need to eat right. My health will be fine. I just really don't have to take care of myself. We can all practice this willfully turning away from things that are true. One of the things that was really difficult for me this uh, week as I studied, I was telling Phil, ran into this idea of uh, scientific consensus. Rather than scientific truth, there's a new narrative, and it's called scientific consensus. All you have to do is get enough scientists to believe and to, to go along with a certain narrative and a certain story. And rather than having the scientific test and data based on truth, it's now the scientific consensus. And if you disagree with the scientific consensus, depending on where you're working and who you're working for, it can cost you your job very, very quickly. And so the scientific consensus is going along with the scoffers and say, where is this coming, he promised. Since the beginning of time, this is the way things go. This is the way things go. And they deliberately go against what's true. It's interesting when you go through just a quick trip of the Bible, it again refers to God formed the earth. God fashioned the earth. God set the heavens in place. He put the stars in place. He knows them each by name. And maybe you've been living in fear that God's not necessarily in control of the earth anymore. That somehow God lost control and we're spiraling off out of control. And because of the things that are happening in nature, natural disasters and viruses, that God's no longer in control. But I was comforted that Peter, even in the face of the scoffers, tells the people, go back to the word of God. Go back to the prophets. Go back to the apostles. Trust what the word of God says because this is the truth. By God's word, the heavens existed and they still exist today. It was interesting for me to go to Roman or Genesis chapter 8. And it says this at the end of chapter 8. This is again back in the creation story. Talking about how God created things. And so it said this at the end of 8. As long as the earth endures. Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat. Summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Seed time and harvest. Do you know what that blade of grass is that's breaking through the tar on the edge of the parking lot? That's a seed, bearing seed after its own kind. Since God said, let there be seeds. Dr. Henry Morris He's a creation scientist. He said, it's remarkable that evolution, which is currently such a dominant theory 
on the origin and the meaning of life is based on absolutely no verifiable evidence. There is simply no scientific or historical evidence that evolution has taken place. The most basic laws of science, laws of probability, laws of thermodynamics prove that genuine macroevolution could not happen at all. As Peter has prophesied, this belief would be based on willful ignorance. Morris goes on to say that, um, quoting this idea, speaking about this particular passage when the scoffers say everything just goes on as it always has gone on, that the life that we see sprung up out of primordial algae and evolutionists, whether they're atheists, pantheists, deists, theists, they willingly ignore God's testimony that the heavens and the earth did not evolve by continual natural processes from pond scum, but were called into existence by God's all-powerful word, fully complete, fully functioning from the beginning. It was interesting. There's a book called Dar Darwin's Black Box, and there's many other books. I am not a creation scientists in any way, shape, or form with the ability that some of those folks have. But he explained, just think about this. If you have uh, creatures, humans, animals, that depend on sight to feed, okay? We depend on sight to feed and to gather food. How long did it take the eye to develop in the process of our gathering food? You'd have starved all to death, okay? I'd have starved to death. But God spoke these things into existence. And it tells us that in Hebrews chapter 11, let me just read you this verse in Hebrews 11. It says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Can you imagine when God, I don't know how he did it. Did he speak and the whole human was created? Or did he take up a little dirt and make an eye, make a heart, make a liver within minutes or a day? But that's how it happened. Not over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and billions of years in the process of evolution. So Peter's combating this and saying they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed. And one other verse I wanted to share, if you did not know this, in Romans chapter 1, listen to this telling verse. Romans chapter 1 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God had made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
I was just reminded reading that. I remember when I was in high school and I was 17 years old and somebody was sharing the gospel with me for the first time. And I was aware that there was a God out there somewhere, but there was no God that I put my faith in. There was no God that I trusted with my life. There was no God I was submitting to on a daily basis. And I remember um, coming to the realization that God was there and he is here. He's the God who is. And I began to be aware, you know what? I think I've scoffed at this God. I think I've mocked this God. I think I've ridiculed this God. I think I've made light of this God. And as it dawned on me and God revealed and peeled back the darkness of my heart and brought new life to my and gave me understanding and caused me to be born again by his grace and his mercy. I was able to look at the trees for the first time and say, I know who made you. Look at the stars and say, I know who put you in place. And in a whole new way, come to an understanding that there now there's thousands of fully qualified scientists from every field of science who studied the scientific evidence, the pros and the cons, and have come to the conviction with the help of science and scripture that the biblical record of Earth's history is precisely correct. We don't, have, we don't understand every detail of it, obviously. We're still learning. And we don't make truth. We discover the truth that is. And so as we study, we find out Peter's going back and he's saying God's word. By God's word, God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. They deliberately forget that long ago God's word, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, speaking of the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. We're going to have to stop there for now and, and pick this up. But you want to do some research this week and do some study, do some thinking. And you know what? Here's what I would invite you to do. I would invite you... Maybe before you even leave here, maybe you have a driveway of your own, get down on your knees and look at the little tiny blades of grass breaking through the tar. And then just ask yourself, have I fully appreciated God's word? What is it I do believe? Am I a scoffer? Am I a false teacher? Have I been hoodwinked away from fundamental believing the truth of Scripture? And is Peter trying to stimulate me on to clear thinking and bring me back to the ground of God's Word? Have I given way to fear in different areas of my life? And I don't even recognize I'm not really trusting God. I would invite you, I would invite anybody, whatever time you spend listening to the media and the news, Spend at least that much time reading God's word. And notice the change in your life as God word, 
washes over you and again and again reminds you of the truth and challenges the scoffers and the skeptics and the false teachers. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for being reminded and being called back to your word, the authority. Your word is truth. And God, we all need your word in our life to direct the steps of our feet, to direct our paths, to call us to live grounded in the waves and the wind of our, our day. And in these last days, as scoffers come, following their own evil desires, having their compasses turn every way, instead of having their compasses faced true north. Lead us and guide us, teach us, correct us, rebuke us, draw us into an ever-deepening relationship with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the computer's off, so we're not online. Um, first of all, we 